Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Then find a way to make your own team. Start doing it. It's the confidence builder of all time. There is nothing that goes faster than that. It's the it's DSL. It's so fast. The way it gets you the this set of, wow, if I could just play like that, it just gives you an open confidence in your words and your gut. Your gut is saving your life at all times. It's never not saving you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. So glad to have you here again. Thank you so much for all of your support. You guys are incredible and i always so grateful. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. I hope you're enjoying all the episodes, especially the last one, part one with Rick Overton. This next one, part two, is even better, and I know you're going to enjoy it a lot. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter or at BarryKatz.com. And when I think of Rick Overton, simply put, I think of relationships, tremendous relationships. Everybody in the comedy business loves Rick Overton, and he's been friends with some of the biggest stars in the world. It's called relationship capital. And if you have relationship capital, you can never lose because there will always be people who support you, who believe in you, and who think of you in fond regard and will have you in their projects, will want to work with you, and will want to do everything they can to help you succeed. And that's what's happened with Rick Overton over 40 years. An amazing man, an amazing actor, an amazing comedian, and an amazing person. And if you can figure out how to be all of those things to everyone and create that relationship capital of your own by being the best representation of yourself, I can guarantee you, you'll have the kind of career that Rick Overton has. 
Let's go way back. Let's talk about where you grew up, what the dynamic was in the house, the economics of the situation, and what was your first inspiration of getting into this crazy business? I grew up in uh, first Forest Hills, New York, and then Englewood, New Jersey. My father was a jazz musician. He uh, helped arrange for Thelonious Monk. And if you ever get the jazz loft on your uh, streaming service, as a documentary, take a good look at that. You'll see my pop and you'll see him. They helped between 54 and 64 invent bebop. Wow. It's one of the places that wasn't the only place it was happening, but they were helping to make it happen there and form it and understand how to transition out of swing jazz into this new sound. And uh, so it was a form of improv as well. And my dad loved Jonathan Winters. He loved him. And my dad was cool. And the thing about being cool is it isn't always the best friend of comedy. It has no vulnerability because cool is all that, all the stuff you don't show. And you get paid kind of in this business to show. So he had another side of his life that perhaps he was subconsciously surrogating upon me by the drop of that, that needle on the record. But did you have the comedy and tragedy record from John? <laughs> I had them all. I had every single one of them, and Dad had them, actually. And he would just, you know, we'd go up and play them, and he was watching me. And he's seeing what I'd laugh at. How old were you? Oh, a little kid. Oh, a little kid, you know, six, seven, whatever it is. And he's just started not knocking me out with the stuff. I wasn't always laughing at all the adult hip stuff. But he'd do a voice of, or whatever, you know, and I'd crack up at that stuff. And then I would see him live on a... a, a a late night show of some sort or a Sullivan and my dad would be dying. And I, and I just go keep going back and forth, looking at the screen, looking at dad. And going, All right. I got to figure this out. I got to figure out how to make that happen with pop. Okay. So how do you make it happen? I just started goofing around school, you know, get a couple of friends who just love the way you joke. And yeah, I'm just doing impressions of Jonathan or someone on TV or Don not or whatever, you know, and Peter Sellers, Minky, or whatever, you know, I mean, I was, I was doing whatever the little kid version of that was. And uh, those, those are my three. And Dick Van Dyke, I was tripping over furniture. <laughs> and uh, just getting laughs. And you know what? The first time a girl in class goes, uh-oh. All right, now I'm stuck. I got to do this funny stuff forever. Oh. <sighs> And I was thinking, I can't compete with my parents. My mother was one of the cordettes, singer with the group Lollipop, yes, Mr. Sandman. Course, Mr. Sandman. And then dad was doing the jazz. I can't do music. I'll never be able to follow that. I'll never be Rick Overton. I'll just be their kid the whole time. What am I going to do? And then I would see, my mom wasn't one of the original cordettes. She was one of the ones... Right after. She's first replacement in the group when one of the gals got pregnant, couldn't zip up the gown. Mom could. Stepped in. And she did the road. So I would travel on the road. And guess who I would see opening up? Comedians. 
and weirdly, I never met Jonathan until much later. But as a kid, I met Jackie Leonard at one of the shows mom was doing. One of the funniest ever. Dry, throwaway, funny guy. And, uh, and I said, I thought your comedy was very funny. And I went, well, I certainly hope so for your sake. <laughs> and I didn't understand. And I said, Mom, is he mad at me? And he goes, no, he's doing bits for you off stage. That's an honor. So he's play poking with me. And then later, James Garner was there. James Garner was a comedian? Well, there's no, he was uh, uh, just doing an appearance as Maverick. Really? Maverick. I went, and I went, Maverick! And he rolled up a newspaper, and went, bow, bow, bop, and hit me on the head, and I fell down like he knocked me out. And he went, oh, ho, 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 like that. I was killing. And then later, there's this putting green. And I don't know what possessed me, but I went, pow, and I put that thing into the pool. And this old man, crispy old man, bald-headed, gets up out of the chair, goes and sploosh, goes into the pool. So I'm running towards the pool, and he comes up. Here's your ball, young man. <gasps> it's George Burns! It's wow. George Burns! And then I did a joke. And I said, wow, he's crispy. I went, wow, George really burns. And, and he went, ho, 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 I got two of those adult, like, oh, ho, ho, kind of things, you know? I stayed with me my whole life. Kind of pushed me into wanting to be funny after that. Giant, you don't even know how giant that is when I'm tiny. You know what I mean? Like, that's the biggest thing in the universe to happen. So what's your first entrance into the comedy game? What do you do? Uh, I was with my first comedy partner, Anthony Pastor. So you, you, so you automatically started teaming up with people as opposed to doing it on your own. Uh, I don't know. You didn't mention any comedy teams being your inspiration. So I'm curious why you were choosing people to be teaming up with. I think probably Python. We were just a small Python, you know, mm -hmm. just a little... Cut, cut, cut of a snake there. So the Monty Python movies were very... Um... Yeah, and the TV show and the absurdity. And so Roger and I would do sketches and things like that. And then before that, Ton Pastor and I were doing more traditional sketches. I felt safer. I just felt like a partner was safer somehow and I got someone to bounce up. I didn't have the faith I could do this on my own quite yet. When's the first time you got paid? Overton Sullivan got a college date. <laughs> I mean, we know what we paid would be like cab fare. Remember when they were doing the big deal? Oh, you got the thing and you're not completely on your own now. They're paying to get you back and forth and through town. That's like the first pay. So you could call that. But then a college is like the first chunk of cash. And so uh, Roger and I went up to this upstate college and they... We did the show in a rat's gallery, you know, with the daytime and the beer and the talking through the whole thing and the, the kid going, uh, sound system? What's that? <laughs> you mean the PA? <sighs> yeah, okay, the PA. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, everybody. And that was like our first gig, you know. And so what were you doing? The Nooner. <laughs> it was a nooner. It was brutal. What were you doing to pay the rent and to put food on the table? Uh, both Roger and I were working at uh, 
an organic cleansing, cleaning chemical, industrial cleaning chemical phone sales company in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. What age were you when you didn't have to have a day job anymore and what happened? Well, first I was working at uh, Chrysler as a shifter. They got cars off the flatbed and then they have to be prepped at a prep station in Clifton, New Jersey. And then they give you special dealer plates, which you clip on the back. And the dealer plate is a sign for cops not to bust you when you're going 90 to get into the city. And so we would drive in squadrons of cars to drive these prepped cars into the city so we can get back in time. And you do probably three, four, five runs in a day. And uh, that was the job. And then I, I, uh, I had the confidence at a certain point that we we're starting to get enough colleges and stuff like that that I uh, we and then no then we went then I found it didn't work as well we had to go to the chemical place for a little while and sell that crap but then we said we got out of here we're doing this man we got TV dreams you know and we weren't getting paid enough for us to start fighting over again I know you have so many stories and so many crazy things that have happened to you and so for our audience, if you were to just choose one story that happened to you in your life in this crazy business that would blow everybody the fuck away, that they wouldn't believe it when they heard it, what would that story be? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's funny little, you know, Jack Grayman. No. Jack Grayman looked like Kurt Vonnegut. He worked in New York. He came out here for a little while. He was hanging out with Bob Shaw. Oh, Bob Shaw. Time out. My favorite Bob Shaw joke. This is how a savant I am. You know you're getting old as a guy when you drive over a speed bump and your tits shake. <laughs> Bob. I love Bob Shaw. He had that thing, you know, you got out of the shower and there's still soap behind your balls. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> he was like your dirty uncle. He was a dirty act, but the smartest dirty act imaginable. Yeah. You know, good enough to write for Pixar. That's right. Right. So Him uh, and Don McHenry. Don McHenry teamed up, wrote some great stuff. Um, Jack Raymond looked like Kurt Vonnegut. And back in Studio 54, uh, there was a way to sneak in when people would bust outside to do a little cook because they get trouble if they do blow in certain places in the club. So they come out back and do it and go back in. But as they're going back in, you just, hey, 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 yeah, right, right. Am I right? Am I <laughs> and now you're in. And they're so high, they don't even know who's this guy, but they, now you're in. And so I was trying to do that, trying to sneak back in. And there's this guy with the curly hair and the big mustache. And I'm just sitting there on the step outside. And I go, hey, Jack. And he goes, hey. And he just thought I was saying, hey, pal, hey, Mac, hey, bub. I walk up closer. It's not Jack. It's Kurt Vonnegut Jr. And so he and I... And I'm kind of shit-faced drunk, and I just sit out on that step, and he's shit-faced drunk. And we talked for like two hours about the world and philosophy and everything like that. Okay, I got another one. I got a better story. <coughs> this one, this one's fun. I was visiting a friend. I was visiting. It's just like well, this is when the universe's sense of humor is funnier than mine, and just like nerd, nerd, gets me back, you know. So I'm 
I'm visiting a friend who uh, was a comedian and a great impressionist. Have you ever met those impressionists that can do three genius impressions and then the fourth one? Where the hell? What happened to your ear? How did you, how did you include that fourth one with this <laughs> masterwork of the other three? And you can't hear the difference. And it all focused. We would go on for hours arguing about minutia of impressions. And uh, he's going, no, James Mason sounds like this. No, he's up here like this. I was saying he's up here. You've got to push it further to your nose. No, it's down in the chest, it's in the nose. And he's this guy who should know about his nose. He's in the hospital. Okay, so I walk out <laughs> and I'm walking down Lennox Ave. Excuse me, can you help us? <laughs> I'm looking for a health food store. It's called The Source. Do you know where it is? Yes, I was just walking there myself. <laughs> I wasn't, but now I am. And we're walking along and he's, uh, James Mason's with his wife going, comedian, I think that's got to be the hardest job in all the world. <laughs> and uh, it was just lovely. Did you share your impression with him? Oh God, don't do impressions for people. I didn't, no, <laughs> but inside, <clears throat> I'm right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. It almost sounds like it can't. It can't be true, but it actually happened that way. Awesome. Every now and then in life, those things actually happen. Awesome. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success: a one-of-a-kind, all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Six degrees of separation. All right. <laughs> Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Yeah. I used to run into John Lennon all the time. All the time. Tell us about that. I used to see him at Central Park and stuff like that. I was living just a couple of blocks away from him. and just see him all the time. And this is when he wasn't popular. Because still, people are still angry with him in the 70s. Hey, man, you let your girlfriend talk you out of the Beatles. And so he would be outgoing. He would look for someone to make eye contact and send some love his way. And I'd always go, like, hey, man, yeah. For those of you who don't know, there's a famous poster of him or picture of him. I believe it says New York City or New York fucking city. And he's standing against a building and it's the original improvisation at yeah. 44th and 9th. Right. With his cap and yeah. his room. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Six degrees of separation. Okay, let's go. Going to mention some names. Go. Tell me what comes to mind. Could be a short story. Could be a few words. Could All be right. a sentence. Could be something yeah. inspirational. Yeah. Whatever it is. Go. Ron Howard. Well, Ron Howard has been awfully good to me. And more than once, he has been thrice wonderful to me. 
and I had a great time uh, working on, uh, of course, Gung Ho, which, by the way, people watch Gung Ho. It's a very hip movie that was unbelievably ahead of its time to the point where there was discomfort about the message. What about, about Willow? And then Willow, come on, people, the original movie that was like the Lord of the Rings movie. And uh, I was one of the two brownies along with Kevin Pollack. And uh, we did a lot of improv. We shot, I believe, one of the first fake behind the scenes, be real things following when this was all blue, when they didn't have green yet. And we would, we would go on the blue screen and they had a separate cassette thing for us with the with the cassette release that would be of us backstage in a Barbie dream house that they built for us is where they stay during the production and people are dropping candy wrappers on us and stuff like that. We held the record for the most amount of shrunken down people in a movie and in a movie that also held a record and they invented uh, morphing for that film. It was invented, the technology invented for that film. So you can say it wasn't a giant hit at the time. It is still a perennial rental hit to this day, Jerry Seinfeld. I uh, there's a real Drake. I'm told. I played the Drake on Seinfeld, and you know the way there's a real Joe Davola, and yeah. there's a real Kramer. Yeah. I heard there's a real Drake, and they love busting people's balls and calling just just watch this week. You know, you'll see why. And I added the crying part as the Drake in in the rehearsal because they don't like emotions on that show. And I said, how can I make this like 12 times hor more horrible for them to sit around? Is that okay? We're breaking up. And oh, I heard Gagley Adams is a good restaurant. I just want their skin crawling to get out of the room, you know? <laughs> so, and, and Larry was very generous. He let us play with that. Harold Ramis. Harold Ramis was a, a, a wonderful friend. And a philosophy buddy that we would talk for hours and hours about the way the world is ticking or not ticking. And uh, he was a great cat. He put me in his movies, you know. And I loved being in Groundhog Day with uh, because he let us improvise. A lot of that scene with the drunk on the car and I'm sliding around and says, what do you got? That's a second city man, you know. Like, hey, what do you got? Let's play with this a little bit. And uh, uh, Rick Dukeman was fantastic in that, right? Matt Damon. He killed me in the informant. He was he would he busts your balls kind of like a ball buster in a scene sometimes. And he'll do stuff like he had the tape recorder when we're doing a thing and then I I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm the prick boss, you know. And I'm just talking away and he and he's doing this thing which wasn't in the rehearsal but he's taking the tape recorder that's in that box and he's pushing it against my hand and like shoving my drink into my lap and doing like like that innocent guy was doing, you know, and and I'm. <laughs> Doesn't it surprise you that uh, all the people you worked with? I heard that this was the case, that he's the guy who fucked with you the most, and he's not even a comedian. Oh yeah, he's got that Clooney fuck with you thing. <laughs> he'll bust your balls, and and uh, uh and he'll do it to the take. <laughs> and we were all really on the book in this movie all the comedians are sticking to the character it was pure character it was all of us playing it straight the premise was the joke dennis miller uh i had a great time i'm very honored to have the emmy that i have writing for that show we're all we're very 
I think we all, I was very lucky to be with that team of people, but I'm, I'm proud of the stuff I contributed in there too, you know. Uh, he's uh, a mighty voice. Patton Oswald. I, uh, he is another one of those guys that's transitioning into a fine actor. Incredible. Incredible actor. actor, right? We got these chops, don't we? Yes, you do. You too. We got these chops. We can do. Yes, you I can. I could direct you into something. You think no you time can? flat? Yeah. I'm. I'm open for your next short film. Well, like when you see, I'm dying up here. Look at all oh. the comedians that gave breathtaking performances. Incredible. Right, Kathy Ladman, Judy Gold. And she made me cry. You. Oh, thank you very much. But uh, I was going to say performance after performance from these comedians, and they were. These guys weren't playing. They were sticking to the book, and they were smashing it. Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. I knew him when he was an identical triplet. Uh, don't tell me. Bob Nelson, Eddie Murphy, and... Jim Myers. Or Rob Bartlett. Rob Bartlett. Or Jim Myers. Jim Myers? Jimmy Myers was the partner one. And he left like uh -huh. your first partner, Roger Sullivan. Yes, and then, the, and then uh, Robbie came in. Got it. And then Eddie took off. That was in Long Island at the yes. uh, East Side Comedy Club, or was it someplace else? Uh, that was one of them. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rainy Night House. Remember Rainy Night House? Sadly. Yeah. You know, tough rooms, but man, you get through it, right? Larry David. Do you remember the days of having to go on it right after Larry? I always felt that there were certain comedians that could follow Larry and do really well because I felt that he... This is the way I looked at Larry at the time, back then. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried was doing a set uh, that was very improvisational and turning his back to the crowd and doing whatever, but with, <laughs> but with, but with energy. Yeah. Larry was doing <laughs> a faction of that without as much energy. Yeah. And so I always felt if you were a comedian that had any kind of energy, you could go on after that and do okay. Here's the thing you had to do when you're listening for Larry is you have to wait the entire set because it could be two minutes in and you'll just listen for the blunk, the dunk, dunk, and he drops the mic and he's walking off. You're on! Half a beer, go. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wait from the beginning of his set because it might not be a set. He could storm. Yeah. Remember those days? Yeah, well, because he... Blong you just listen for that thlunk. <laughs> I think he just didn't like when certain people in the crowd were talking and, and just would rather be more right. theatrical. I'm one of the few guys that does an impression of his early act. My name is Albanian. I need a companion. Jack Black. <laughs> Had fun working with him in year one. And... Uh, I always thought he was uh, another one of those guys that, the, although not really a stand-up, he got where funny went everywhere. And I, as as a musician, he was a stand-up. Uh, he's not there so much delivering the separate jokes, but being in character and working with Kyle. Kyle, yes. And, uh, so, and teams, man. It's so brutal for teams. It doesn't matter who the team is. Because um, they're both great. And Kyle's great. So... I, I, uh, and you know, his mom, Jack's mom. I don't know his mom. Oh, she invented the escape system for space capsules. 
Well, my next topic for you in one of these things was science fiction. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for sci-fi, especially when there's a lot of imagination involved. It isn't just it's sci-fi because one of our military spaceships goes to another planet, invades the planet, and then is angry when they fight for their own lives. You know, that kind of thing. Not to me the best sci-fi, but I work. I got to work on a uh, a steampunk series called The Secret Adventures of Jules Verne, where I got to be the creative designer for the series. Incredible. I just, I don't know how it landed in my lap, but it did. And I've always loved steampunk because I studied... Uh, a little bit of design miniature work with the designer for the Nautilus for 20,000 Leagues, Harper Goff, who also made Epcot and, uh, you know, big designer. So, Robin Williams. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. I would run around San Francisco with him, sometimes running security, you know, with a couple of big guys, we could, you know, run a little defense, but he didn't really need it. And most of the time he would stop and pay attention to everyone in that group everywhere the entire way every single time and rather than go oh come on let's go you're just going yeah that's how this is done that's the right way to do this don't worry about the rest of your day do this this is what made their day that's right it's the right way your proudest moment in show business Right here. <laughs> oh, right now, my stop friend. already. Um, one of them is getting the Emmy. One of them is doing the I'm Dying Up Here. One of them is doing the Informant. One of them is my uh, new special. I don't know if I have a separate one. It's like gig soup, you know, and all the letters are kind of all stirring together after a certain point, and I can have a general sense about certain things, but I don't have as many specifics anymore. So many things rose high as a specific that now I have to look at a, a field of tall poppies. Experiential, you know. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. Not getting SNL. Not getting Saturday Night Live. 
ages ago and lost it a couple of times. Last round to Charlie Rocket. And by no fault of his own. He was great. It just didn't work out. And uh, I determined myself that, well, you know, SNL people are getting movies. I'm just going to get movies. And Jonathan Winters had a great phrase. He said, if your ship doesn't go in, swim out and get it. I love that quote. Yeah. So that is like an applicable quote to what I thought was a, was how I got into movies without that, you know. I just did a whole segment on, on that quote. Oh, really? On something Fantastic. Oh, it is a great quote indeed. You bet. I love that. Me too. Before I ask you the final question. Oh, no. This is too much fun. We're going to do something. I want my producers here to go in the other room, and I want you guys to come up with any topic at all and write it on a piece of paper. <laughs> and we're going to allow Rick Overton to do a little piece of set list <laughs> here on this couch. So why don't you go in there and just real quick write something down, just any any subject matter, any topic, anything. Could be the weirdest thing ever. And come back and sit down here and show it to him, and I will tell the audience what it is. He's sitting up straight now. Get that blood pumping into your brain again, old boy. <laughs> this is fun, man. So the set list, you want to check out the special. You can get it where anywhere where specials are probably, but he'll tell you exactly where it is. Amazon. Amazon. iTunes. There you go. I mean, uh, iTunes and also on uh, YouTube. Got it. So I'm going to hand him the cards. Uh, no, you hold them. I'll hold And them. I'll turn to you and you pop one up just as I throw it. But I don't know your whole shoulder thing as well as you do. I'll go like this. I'm going to roll in, drop my left and roll the right and give you a look. I'll still fuck up, but anyway. Beautiful. All we'll, right. We'll, so we'll you, conclude it. So you're going to roll to me when I... Uh-huh. Okay. I'll roll. So, uh, you know... Uh, these are trying times for lots of people, and uh, we are we're wondering what we can invest in next financially. And uh, you know, it's been uh, some highs and lows for me, but I know there's one thing I'm absolutely secure in investing in. I'm investing in a new system where you don't know the vegetable you're getting necessarily, but because of your faith in the American system, you're going to blindly trust that whatever we're serving you is good here in America. And we're calling it the Blind Farmer Program. And what that is, is where we, we consider you to be the farmer and the farmer who's not really paying attention. And so instead, we just want you to reach, grab, fill the basket, and start to teach yourself what variety is. And you need variety in your life. We all need variety in our lives right now. It's been so claustrophobic. And you know where I find variety? I find the broad variety of cardboard desserts <laughs> that uh, really, if you want to start having healthier farts, I think it's time to go gluten-free with your desserts. Yes, it's just as many calories. Yes, you're just as fat. But hey, that's kind of like trail mix. It's nutty. But you know what's really nutty, folks? I'll tell you what's really nutty. What's really nutty is diving into a premise that you don't really have a bit for. <laughs> and holding your breath because you didn't bring your gear. <laughs> 
And that's really the story of my experience with Setlist, is to be able to just fall backwards like that Lipton tea plunge. And I had to give up tea because of my kidney stones. <laughs> so instead, I've had to really change my diet around. I've had to change a lot of things around in my life. You know what else I had to change? I had to change doing one fucked up thing after the next <laughs> until I had to pick the most fucked up thing I'd ever done and I'm doing it right now. <laughs> this is the most fucked up thing I've ever done is trying to dig myself out of that one there. But you've been a great crowd. Thanks so much. Good night. And so that, that's the basic idea there, you know, and just save your life and dog paddle. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, brother. This is so much fun. <laughs> I'm actually going to twist a little bit out of you even more. Go, baby. Dig yourself deep one more time because there's one left in here. Okay. Well, look, you know, there's always, isn't that like life? There's always that one last surprise. And, <laughs> uh, and that surprise is most often positive. I mean, so how many times have you thought, oh, here it comes, and oh, that wasn't so bad? Uh, for example, like, like Barry Katz. Here, I thought he was going to ask me about the time I got a paper plate in my head because they were all of the metal ones, <laughs> so that you could touch different parts of my head and trigger emotions. Um, but, uh, Barry Katz, my dear friend who I've known for decades and decades, you've kept your hair <laughs> and I, I have, uh, I've, I've tried to keep mine. The thing is, I'm just not keeping it here. Right now. <laughs> Amazing. One last question. <laughs> what advice do you have for the young comedian that's growing up in some place oh, in the perfect. middle of nowhere and to figure out that navigation to get mm -hmm. to the kind of place and to, to figure it all out and have the kind of journey and great career that you've had? What do they have to do? Study improv. I don't mean to be repetitious about this, but it is the core of everything that's really launched the next thing for me. Even when I was writing that act that you saw as a memorized wrote act, I had to improvise that part. I was bringing it to everything. Start with that. It's the maker. It's your right brain. It deserves its place at every process you're doing. Uh, it is there the whole time. Just acknowledge it and build on that. I don't know if you're near an improv setting. Get a book on it. Watch videos on it. Watch good improv. And then find a way to make your own team. Start doing it. It's the confidence builder of all time. There is nothing that goes faster than that. It's the It's DSL. It's so fast, the way it gets you the this, uh, wow, if I could just play like that, it just gives you an open confidence in your words and your gut. Your gut is saving your life at all times. It's never not saving you. It's just the brain is built into a, a memory recorder on this side and a creator on the other. And the memory recorder remembers everything you just said and then takes credit for it because it doesn't know any difference. But it's this side that's doing everything unique and good. So work on that side. Work on improv. Rick Overton. Barry Katz. Come here, brother. Thank you so much, buddy. You're amazing. You are. I love you so much. I'm right so back, grateful brother. that you did this show. Thank you for having this me. This is man. very inspirational for everybody. Oh, Thank I'm, you so much. You know, I'm an improvangelist. I kind of push that a lot, but I think it's, it's the root of everything. You know, we improvised this. I think we did great. Well, well, let's go back to one. I'm sorry. I screwed that up. Can we, can we go back to one? 
Okay, let's start the interview again. Okay, I got, I, I got this. I got one more in me. I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I have anything in me. After, <laughs> you, you, you took it all, man. You're uh, incredible. I, I'm so grateful to you. Uh, it's mutual. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.